0: All right, guys, we are back for episode three, and today we're going to talk about seasoning your smoker, and we're going to touch on some community questions
1: that have been submitted. But first, how's it going, Mark? It's going very well. I'm just excited to talk about meat again. Yes, absolutely. This is a very fun part of my week. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes, I've been looking forward to this one, and
1: uh, it sounds like a lot of people out there are starting to tune in, which is great. Yeah, it's it's warming up already. I mean, have, we've gotten some uh, emails, some fantastic emails. We've gotten people on Instagram sharing stories of things they're throwing on the smoker. It's like when you hear people talk about this stuff, it just makes you want to get out there and try some recipes out and have some fun with it. And it looks like people are, are diving in already. Might oh, still yes. be cold outside, but they're getting out there. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And uh, I know I've been scratching at the bit here to get out and really get the big one going, but <laughs> yeah, still holding off for just a little bit longer all right so i do have a question for you though yeah hey good looking what you got cooking so mark what did you have on the grill this week
1: i wasn't prepared for the musical element of the show but that was good yeah well Um, we might have to edit that part but you never know (laughs) no no it's good you gotta keep it in well look some weeks it's not going to be you know the kind of thing you would want to really brag about. Like sometimes there's just dinner needs to be made and food gets cooked. Uh, but, but I'm always cooking outside at least at least one meal a week. So this week it wasn't anything crazy. It was burgers. But not just Ooh. any burgers. We do have a local market here that's actually right around the corner from my new shop uh, in Flint Hill. It's called Menino's. And great little market. Got all kinds of, you know, produce and things like that. But they have a deli there and a butcher and they've got some great pre-made, like, ready to go. We've done this at the shop a few times where we just okay. get the charcoal going. Mm-hmm. And you got these little, uh, like, bacon-wrapped little steak bites and little seafood shrimp bites and just, like, little things that, especially for lunch, you don't need to get oh, too yeah. fancy. <clears throat> you just throw those suckers on the grill. And, oh, my gosh, it's, it's very rich eating for something that's just like a normal lunch at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they also sell wonderful burgers. And normally I would make my own patties. Um, but it's one of those times where I'm leaving work. It's after five o'clock. Uh, I'm just going to stop there, pick a, a couple of the pre preformed patties that they have, but they have these ones that they call, uh, I always want to say cowboy. Now they're smokehouse burgers. Okay. And they, they won't tell you exactly what's on it, but it's a pretty standard paprika based sort of rub mm-hmm. that's on these things, but they've been sitting in it for a while. And I think that's where the magic happens. When I do this at home, pretty impatient. Like I'm going to give it a little douse and then I'm going to throw it on the grill. It's not going to sit there long. These have been there probably all day long sitting in this spice. And by the time you get them home, and I throw them on the little tech, I don't go too high. I do a little bit, almost like a, a reverse sear, if you will, yep, for a burger. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> going at a fairly low temperature, getting a little bit more smoke on there. And then at the end, just kind of cranking it up. And it's fantastic. And uh, that is just one of my favorite little treats as a just standard a weeknight burger meal. And we, yes. uh, we did that. We did that once this week. So, uh, that was pretty good. Can never complain when I've got one of those.
0: Uh, definitely not. And I, there's nothing wrong with, uh, getting yourself a pre-made patty. I mean, I, yeah. I typically make my own as well. Um, and actually the best is when you take brisket fat and put it in there with ground beef as well, mm-hmm. but that's just one extra step. And you're right on a, On a work night, you don't want to be doing all that kind of stuff. You want to get them on, get them in, so you can go to bed before one a.m. with the three little, or two or three little kids. So,
1: (laughs) yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um. Let's see. So my smoker was pretty darn busy. Um. But probably the biggest thing that I did was I had some extra corned beef that I had smoked uh, about a week ago, and I got some cream cheese. And some chicken breasts. And I'm like, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my own rendition of like a Texas Twinkie, but with chicken. Mm. So, I chopped up the corned beef and I added it to my cream cheese. Added some extra seasonings and some uh, shredded cheese in there. Butterflied the chicken breast and then wrapped it all in bacon and then put them on the smoker. And I'm not gonna lie, they were pretty darn good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I, I mean, I I did some burgers on top of that, and I'm trying to think what else. I think there was one other thing, but um, oh, some like bratwurst patties. I used the griddle on those. So
1: I had some of those recently, and and I don't know, maybe I've just been on a, a rock, and I never realized that bratwurst patties were a thing. Uh, to me, brats were always just the typical cylindrical (laughs) you know wiener shaped uh, uh, creations (laughs) didn't realize that they came in in a burger sort of patty form and Mm -hmm. I've had those a couple times and that's pretty fantastic because it's an interesting way of spreading the flavor in a different shape where usually, you know, the, the experience of biting into a brat is so yeah. distinctly, you know, you, you go through the seal, you break the seal, you get the juicy stuff on the inside. But this is like, especially if you like toppings on it, it's a, mm-hmm. a good opportunity to be able to spread that around a little bit. So it definitely, oh, yeah. it's, it definitely tastes like a brat, but it has an opportunity to kind of have a different flavor profile.
0: Yeah. And so I get mine from my local butcher as well. And it's got the, these little mustard seeds. They're like little tiny BBs and just little <laughs> balls of flavor and adds a little bit of texture in there. It's, it's, nice. it's, it's definitely different than your t- typical cylindrical wiener style brat.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Sounds good.
0: Oh, and another thing I I want to mention is I went to, I went out of town, which I live in a small town. So, uh, I kind of have to go out for certain things but I went to the ace hardware in a, a neighboring town and they had a huge selection of traeger stuff um, and anytime you're gonna see traeger typically you're gonna see some meat church stuff and mm. I like i li- i do like matt pittman's uh, seasonings uh, he's got a good variety I think they're Priced fairly well. So I, I always pick up a few. And lately, my voodoo has been my go-to. Uh, I really, okay. really enjoy the voodoo. But I'm typically not a big barbecue sauce person. However, okay. they did have a good selection of that as well. So I picked up some, um, what's his name? Uh, Womp sauce by Mitch, I think is his name. Um, mm-hmm. And wow, it's a, like, it's a molasses-based barbecue sauce. And I just drizzled it on some of that chicken that I made. Oh, Mm -hmm. it just, it took it to another level, just another added layer of flavor.
1: Yeah. The, uh, meat church rubs in particular, um, sometimes marketing counts and they, especially when it comes to rubs, right? Like sometimes Mm -hmm. if you taste them, of course that might set them apart, but sometimes some people just get it better than others. And there's something about the, the meat church, Uh, rubs labels and the pictures, the animations on, on the stuff that they sell that just make you want to try it. And I am a sucker, absolute sucker for that. And I love meat church rubs. Have you had a chance to try the, I think it's one of the newest ones, the um, Texas sugar.
0: Oh yes. Yes, absolutely.
1: (laughs) So Holy Voodoo and Texas sugar. Mm -hmm. um, In addition to like their regular uh, all purpose gospel one and, and Holy gospel. I mean, they're they're all good. (laughs) They're all so good so yeah and there's yeah, if,
0: and there's like typically one little tweak to most of the the main ones and you can tell the difference it's crazy
1: yeah yeah i mean if you actually look at the ingredients you can kind of see okay this one is maybe mm-hmm. was from holy cow that had a slight change to make it you know maybe a little less pepper a little bit more uh, you know so there's sh- more sugar in there whatever it is uh but the mixes are just fantastic i mean i use them on everything from like you know even just especially for the weeknight cuts if i just got a uh a little slab of pork, or I'm doing um, some chicken, some chicken thighs, or something like that. It's just a fantastic way to doctor them up. Love me some meat church.
0: Yes, and actually, you brought up a good point that I think is kind of worth talking about. <clears throat> when you go to places and you're looking at different seasonings, other than the name of it, the very first thing I do is I flip it over and I'm looking at those ingredients. Yeah, because a lot of these are the same, and it 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 is pretty unique to see the different little tiny tweaks that are in Mm -hmm. each one and how much that can really impact something.
1: Yeah. And also I think for a lot of people and depending on your health situation, salt, right? So many of these things are just loaded with salt and you really do not need to add any more um, so that's also something that looking at those ingredients can, you know, depending on your personal needs, you really want to take a look at the uh, the order the ingredients are in and just kind of get an idea of what, what is most of the content in this thing. Is it spice? Is it just simply a whole bunch of salt with a couple other things to doctor it up? Um, you, you learn a lot that way. And then yeah. also, you know, the other thing is, you know, not for nothing, but fillers, uh, fillers and things that actually like, um, what do they call it? The anti-clumping agents and things that they put in there so they they don't clump up in there. And it's one of the advantages. Like at some point I really would like to say, okay, look, I love this rub. I see the ingredients. Now it's just proportions and I would love to make my own so it doesn't have any of that other stuff. And I can also maybe modify the salt content depending on the audience, who I'm feeding and how much they do like that uh, saltiness. Um, And I I have a lot of respect for people who commit 100% to making their own rubs. I haven't gotten there yet. I just haven't tried enough to say, all right, Mm -hmm. this is the one that I want to learn how to make. Um, But maybe someday I'll get there. Yeah.
0: And so when I cook my big cooks, I I can't afford to just go out and buy someone's seasoning. So I will buy all the things in bulk and then mix it myself. But uh, other than that, typically, no, I'll be buying something off the shelf. It's... I don't have space for all those giant containers of salt, pepper, yeah. and, and whatnot.
1: So when you're doing that seasoning and you got so much to do, the volume of it necessitates you have to do mm-hmm. it yourself. When you do that, I mean, the, the real basic components of your average barbecue rub is maybe what, like four things? If you really want to just keep it simple. Okay, your, uh, your salt, your pepper, paprika, maybe a little bit of um, you know, garlic, um, granulated garlic. Uh, what am I missing?
0: That's pr- pretty much the basic. So all I mean, you might... You
1: might t- there's a little thing here and there to tweak it, right? So, I yeah. mean, when you do that and having experience with your own rub, do you find a drastic difference? I mean, you can probably get 99% of the way there with that basic core rub that you could probably find in any barbecue book, like recipe book anywhere. It's just those little extra things mm-hmm. for that little bit of extra bite. That li- I mean, but have you really noticed the big difference when you do that?
0: No. Um... I mean, unless you're going for the crazy flavors, like the mm. um, one of my favorite uh, rib rubs is kicking maple bacon something or other. And mm-hmm. that thing is absolutely phenomenal, and I can't find it anymore. But, no, 90% of my cooks are salt, pepper, garlic, and then some form of sweetness just because that's what my family likes to have on their yeah. on their barbecue, especially right. the kids. So, uh, But, no, and... Now there are when it comes to pepper, that is where you don't want to necessarily cheap out. Um, the best I found is for like one pound, you're talking uh twenty to twenty-four bucks because it's the sixteen mesh. And for when you're cooking low and slow, that's what's gonna really help uh f- oh, enhance your bark. I mean it's going to really give you a nice bark. Um, that looks burnt but a lot of people will say it's burnt and that's not the case at all when you touch it it is not burnt it's just all the chemicals and everything that's happening in the smoker due to that pepper
1: yeah it's more blackened as opposed to charred and burnt yes yeah that makes sense Awesome. hey that
0: was some pretty good pretty good little nuggets of information there but heck yeah are you you ready to dive on into the uh
1: topic for tonight yeah, I think we can certainly do that. Or do you want to do questions first?
0: Uh yes, that's what I meant. i sorry, the questions first. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm just going in the order we have in the yes, notes. I know you could do yes. what you want. It's your show. I'm so eager. <laughs> I know you're so excited. Well, first, I want to mention that we do have a website you guys can go to and check out. And this is a work in progress. We will, you know, modify things and make sure it's the home base where you can find anything related to this podcast stuff we talk about, resources. As things grow, that's the hub. It's going to be the thestallpodcast.com. And, of course, that is where you could submit a question. There's a form right on the website. You want to send us a question, that's a great place to do it. Or you could send in questions directly to stallpodcast at gmail.com. And we thought it would be pretty cool. Already here, show number three, before we had uh, recorded, we already had a number of great questions. Um, At this point, with only, you know, we're not getting a ton of questions, we might be able to answer all of them (laughs) at some point. But if they keep rolling in, we'll just do our best to get to the ones that we can. Uh, Today, we decided we'd take two of these questions. And Mm -hmm. I'll take the first one here from Patrick. He says, what are the effects to barbecue at altitude? The fire source, the meat, the moisture, the stall. For reference, I live in Colorado Springs at 6,800 feet, but a general discussion to cover changes would be nice. Um, so this this is interesting. Now, I can only offer so much perspective on this having lived in the Denver area. I uh, lived in a town called Littleton. I was not quite as high at 6,800. I was, hold on, I looked this up. I was at 5,350, right? So a little bit you know, mm-hmm. lower, not quite as high. And it does make a difference. Those extra, a 1,000 extra at that point can make a huge difference. Now, the thing is, I didn't notice anything. And the reason is because the lion's share of my heavy smoking learning and the learning curve I went through took place in Denver. So while I did some in Arizona... I also switched to different types of cookers in in Denver and started to do more in my offset a little bit less in the Kamado and I also got into the uh got my first pellet smoker. I was using the Rectech in Denver and and not the Kamado. So those changes, this is like I had mentioned before, when you change something in barbecue, you're almost never just changing one variable. So it's hard to know what to attribute the things you're observing to. Is it because of that The fact that you're in a different place, is it because you're using different fuel? So it's really hard for me and my perspective to give you a first-hand experience with this. But there are plenty of people writing about this topic. Uh, You know, people who travel on barbecue tours and competitions who need to adjust what they do when they get to the Mile High City. And then when they're down in South Carolina, they have a whole different approach, right? So here's just some of the stuff that I learned Um, you know, not necessarily from firsthand experience because I'm doing the opposite. I went from there and now I'm cooking in Missouri and I'm anxious to see what kind of differences do I see? Will it change the cook times, the the moisture content of the meat? But here's what people say about it. So going higher in elevation causes the boiling point of water to decrease. So if Mm. water boils at 212 Fahrenheit at sea level, it's going to boil at a lower temperature when you are at altitude. So let's say at 6,000 feet, that 212 goes down to 199. So part of the impact this this has is that with that boiling happening sooner, we still want to get our temps up to our finished temps in the meat, right? So we have a higher propensity for losing that moisture. It could be a little bit difficult to get that moisture to stay in the meat while you're still trying to get to a finished temp. So you may have to do things like add more supplemental moisture. Maybe at uh, sea level, you never needed to add a tray of water. But maybe if you're uh, at altitude, that might be a good thing to do. Keep that in a moist cooking chamber so that you just don't lose as much of that water in the cook. If you uh, wrap, let's say you're Doing a big brisket, at a certain point, you want to wrap. Maybe that's a good time to add more beef tallow and extra mm-hmm. you know liquid into that mix to keep that stuff in there, steaming the meat and you know not having so much opportunity for the meat to dry. Uh, and generally speaking, things are supposed to take longer. This is where my personal perspective falls apart because that's kind of my recent memory is all at altitude. So I'm just curious to see, like maybe the next time I try a brisket, Maybe I'm going to be pleasantly surprised at how fast it cooks here, uh, just because we're so much you know closer to sea level where I am yeah. now. So it is definitely something you need to think about, especially if you're used to being somewhere else. Now, if the only place you've ever cooked was in the springs, you you might you know not even notice a difference. This is just what you you know the the precautions you take. Uh, I will say also you know when you look at like cake recipes on the back of the box or something like that, baking in particular, uh, you'll find that there's always instructions for altitude and my wife likes to bake a lot Um, do you know how many times we followed those instructions never and we never really had a problem so I don't know if it's just we weren't quite at that crazy you know 6,000 7,000 8,000 feet we were under 6,000 so maybe it was like borderline we could get away with it But we never really changed anything in our cooking habits in that way. So uh, do a little research here. I'm going to give a a link in the show notes for you. Uh, Something you may want to look at is a calculator that determines the boiling point of water at a particular altitude. And that might be something that can help you strategize your cook as you're deciding like, when is that water going to start leaving the meat? Obviously, we get into the stall and we talk about that evaporation process, um, how that impacts it also can be affected by the boiling point of water, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, but I can't speak to that from personal experience. That's something you might want to do a little more research about. I thought
0: that was super interesting. I didn't know that about higher elevations drops the boiling
1: point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was a thing, not to bring it to woodworking, God forbid, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but when I was doing steam bending, there were challenges that I had with generating steam. So you have to have heat and steam to cause the wood to break down to the point that it could be bent to a particular shape. And I was having a particularly difficult time because my water was boiling at a lower temperature. So the temperature was not nearly as high as I wanted it to be at the time that I was trying to do that bending. So even though it was steaming, the heat wasn't quite where I needed it to be. Uh-huh. And it actually made it quite difficult to, uh, to do that at elevation. Um, so yeah, it's, it's related to wood, but the water water boiling point definitely can impact a lot of things like that.
0: Yeah. And another th- big thing that you touched on was moisture and uh moisture is a good thing inside of a heating chamber. Um especially I mean when you get to those higher altitudes I'm assuming that humidity is dropping.
1: Mhm. Yeah, and definitely in Denver certainly was very dry. It was as dry if not more dry than um desert living in Arizona.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and when I lived in West Texas same thing. Uh I mean you'd get a bloody nose just thinking about breathing through yeah. your nose and um uh, but yep. using the tallow and and making sure you have a spritzer bottle, those are those are two things that will absolutely help you.
1: Mhm. For sure. And also the the type of cooker you're using. Uh one of the great things about kamados is their ability to hold in moisture. Uh, oftentimes, cooks where you might want to add moisture, supplemental moisture into the cook, you may not actually need to, as long as you're not lifting that lid every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that kamado holds in not just the, your cook temps, but also the moisture is amazing. It makes a big difference. And there's things that I used to get away with in a kamado that when I went to an offset, I was you know would would be unpleasantly surprised when things weren't quite as moist as I expected them to be. I just took it for granted because I was used to a kamado.
0: Yep. And if you're looking, you ain't cooking.
1: That's what they say. That is what they say. Yeah. I like Uh, to make fun of that, though, because I'm like, you know what? Sometimes I need to look. And if the temperature drops that much, I need a better cook chamber (laughs) to recover fast enough.
0: Oh, yes. Well, (laughs) that's a topic for another day because we're going to dive into that. All right, so you're good on your question. I think yeah, I that think covers it pretty well. Uh, mm-hmm. And and where you live definitely has a huge impact on a lot of different things. Um, but I think it all boils down to how well do you know your smoker. And the other thing, all, all different cuts of meat. Actually, you could you could do five briskets the exact same way, and each one is going to cook differently. So mm-hmm. uh, not to not to add more salt to the wound, but even like as a as a rookie you might think that you're doing everything the exact same and you just have one stubborn flipping piece of meat. And that's how the cookie crumbles sometimes, but
1: don't give up. Yeah. Keep at it. It's a biological thing. You know what I mean? This is meat we're talking about. Mm -hmm. There's going from animal to animal. There are going to be differences. And the joy of barbecue is, Rolling with those punches and getting enough experience to know, oh, this is one of those. (laughs) It's one of those that's going to have a long stall. So I better sit through and, uh, you know, get my podcasts up so I could listen to uh, Mark and Jevin BS for an hour.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. All right, so the next question here is submitted by Keith Powers. Now, I don't know if he's related to Kenny Powers or potentially Austin Powers. Austin Powers' brother, I think. Yeah, baby. Um, (laughs) But he has a question about briskets, and it says, Best method for cooking a full packer brisket. Separate before and cook separately. Don't separate. Smoke together, then separate directly afterwards to do burnt ends and let the point relax for a few hours. Uh, That's a great question, Keith, and I think I've I've talked with a lot of different people that have asked questions about brisket, Um, but before I start to talk about that, so brisket is probably the most intimidating cook that you can probably do um, when it comes to smoking, and yes, it is intimidating, and a lot of it is because of the price. I mean, back 20 years ago, you could buy an entire 18-pound brisket for seven dollars um, but now everybody has transferred to really wanting to to cook it because it is a an amazing piece of meat when cooked correctly. So another thing real quick a packer brisket that is like if you just went to Walmart or Costco or um, Sam's Club and picked up a brisket in a package that is what is considered a packer brisket. Um, I would say, 90% of the people will get that unless you have a butcher on hand, then it's a little bit different, but essentially they are still coming from the same thing. I mean, they're mm-hmm. coming from a cow and the, so the brisket on the cow is the front part that almost looks like uh big old mammary glands swaying in the front instead of the udders in the back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Front cow boobies. Yes. Front cow boobies. Do we have to mark <laughs> this explicit now? That's a technical term. <laughs> I like it. Um, so no, don't separate it. That's the quick and simple answer. The, the reason I would never, ever, ever want to separate is because it does not cook the same. So your your, your point, which is the thicker part of the brisket, and then your flat, they, they overlap in the middle. And the flat does not have near as much fat in it. And on its own, I find that it is very hard to cook it properly without it drying out. When Mm -hmm. it is connected to the point, you're going to get some of that extra intermuscular fat that's going to somehow find its way. It's almost like trying to pour epoxy into a knot. Somehow it still ends up on the floor, even though you've taped the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. So same thing here. You You want that intermuscular fat to really render down into the rest of the, the meat. Now you can go to, uh, any local store and find it separated. And that really grinds my gears, but I know that there are like, um, what's his name on uh, big bang theory. His mom cooks briskets all the time. And I don't think she cooks the point.
1: So <laughs> oh, wallow. It's his
0: mom. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, he's got brisket on, on tap almost in the freezer. Yeah. And I, for if you're going to add it to like soup or some other kind of thing by all means go ahead if you're going to boil it it's going to break down a whole different like way a than crock if you're pot recipe yes. would be yes. something all... for that you would almost treat it like a roast essentially yeah um so my favorite part of the brisket is the point i like the fattier piece um, and that is where the burnt ends will come from I don't do burnt ends very often just because I really enjoy sliced or chopped, uh, point meat. Um, but if you're going to do burnt ends, I still suggest cooking it all together. Now you can, you can surgically make some, um, some cuts in there and separate the two, not all the way, but that way it's much easier to find when you do take it off. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you're going to pull it off, uh, 10 or 15, maybe 20 degrees earlier than you normally would. Cut it off, slice it up into your cubes, throw it in a pan or however you want to do it, sauce them, and then that's how you're going to get your burn ends. But to answer your question, Keith, I would not separate it. Would you agree, Mark?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't do a ton of brisket. So, I I mean, I probably would be where Keith is going, well, I tried it this way and I didn't separate. Is there a benefit to separating If my flat was a little bit dry, you know, Mm -hmm. would there have been a benefit of separating it, keeping the point on and taking the flat out and just kind of at a certain point they, because it's such different cuts of meat connected, you know, at that one point, I could see the logic why someone would think this is a good way to go. And I'm sure there probably are methods that would work great. Um, I would be inclined to kind of keep them together and try to get that to work just because that's what I've seen the most of. Uh, cooks that I respect how they do things, and I respect yeah. you know what they're teaching me. And you often you really don't often see them say to separate them unless they're doing something specific and they're trying to get those burnt ends Absolutely, off yeah. of that. So my goal is like to get it so that you have that classic situation of like, do you want the lean slices or would you like the fatty slices, mm-hmm. and then you give your your guests a choice in that. So I think really nailing the brisket, I think maybe in a more traditional way is to do it as you're describing is to just get get it to go and like, get figure it out for the whole thing yeah um but for for me i just have to i don't again I, I don't get uh that many opportunities to cook that big of a piece and that out of all the barbecue in my family you guys have heard me say this before is kind of picky about what they eat that is the least interesting to my family i would love to eat it but they don't wow. enjoy it so it's when you're talking about like an 18 pound pack or brisket that's a real mm-hmm. hard thing for me to justify yeah. doing it's a big ass piece of meat and i'm like ooh, all for me you know yeah,
0: yeah. and I, yeah so it, it yields a lot i mean yeah and you get to the point where your your body doesn't want that much fat going in your in your system
1: it's a good thing like this is a good thing to have at one of the um Uh, vacuum sealer units on hand so you can kind of like either freeze it in chunks and warm those up slice them afterwards or whatever you want to do uh to kind of save some for later especially if you don't have everybody uh pigging out on the stuff
0: so one more thing about this and then we'll we'll get on to the topic but the one of the benefits of of splitting it if you ever feel you need to is cook time so when you Mm -hmm. take a an 18 pounder and cut it essentially in half Um, weight wise, it's probably going to be closer to like two thirds in the point and uh, a third maybe in the flat just depends on the brisket. But anyways, it's going to significantly cut down your cook time because it's essentially half of that brisket. So if you really were in a hurry, uh, which you should never be in a hurry if you're cooking a brisket, um, then that's when I could see that potentially being something.
1: Mm -hmm. There you go.
0: Yep. Okay, so today's topic is seasoning, seasoning do's and don'ts. So when you're seasoning, well, first of all, why is seasoning important? Well, uh, you don't want to get sick, first of all, and you. this is a good way to keep your, your smoker well-maintenanced and uh, in good working condition. Otherwise, just like any other tool, essentially, if you don't keep up with it, it's just going to go in the trash can or somewhere that you don't want. So there are a lot of do's and don'ts. And if you were to go to the store and pick one up, typically when you get it home, it's going to be all covered in all that lubey oil stuff anyway.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if if you did buy it brand new, you're definitely going to want to just read the owner's manual Um, It's going to tell you certain things that it wants you to do that's specific to that uh, that rig.
1: Well, I think, I mean, even before you get into the real seasoning, if we're talking about a brand new rig, regardless of what it is, there may be a washing process that's going to happen first. If it's brand new, there's manufacturer's oils on things, which can burn off. But ultimately, if there's some kind of manufacturer's grease on a grate, I'd rather wash that off first (laughs) and start over fresh and then try to work on the actual... You know seasoning process at that point, so that's one thing mm-hmm. to look at first. Back when you mentioned the manual, they typically will tell you anything that can be removed, that can be safely washed. Go ahead and just get a scrub brush, a bucket. Do I do the stuff outside when I do? Yes. it. I Don't mess around with the house. Just get a bucket of uh, you know dish soap and a little scrub brush, and just go to town. Hose it off when you're done, and then you can throw everything back in. Now I don't usually wash the interior of the cooking chamber. I'm um, not too worried about that as much, but the stuff that the food is directly going to contact probably want to wash that before you get into like the legit seasoning process.
0: Yeah. And the whole point of doing this seasoning process is all about polymerization, which is a big old fancy term for basically all you're doing is you're heating the surface and forming a, a a protective coating. That's all you're really Mm -hmm. doing. And we could really dive into all this um, old fancy lingo Uh, It has to do with chemistry and stuff, but you're basically forming a double bond that just creates an organic protective plastic around the entire thing. And for me, since I have an offset, the entire thing is metal. It's not painted. It has no Mm -hmm. finish on it, except for what I have done to it. And in order for me to get that polymerization, because up here in Ohio, we have a lot of humidity and my... My smoker looks like it's completely rusted, but it's not. It's due to this process that we're about to go over. Um, so, what I like to do is some people will say that you need, that you can use boiled linseed oil. Well, if you look on the back of a can of boiled linseed oil, if, if you get it on you, or not on you, but if you ingest it in any way, it tells you to call a poison control center or a physician immediately. So it has boiled linseed oil contains metal siccatives, which are mainly cobalt and manganese. And obviously you don't want to ingest those types of things. No. So instead of that, I would suggest using something like Pam, which is essentially canola oil in a spray can. Um, the main ingredient there is obviously canola oil. And it says that um, if you were to get it on your skin or in your eyes or you swallow it, you won't die um cuz you cook with it right mm-hmm. so there's there's quite a long process to do it and to get the correct polymerization you want to first clean off any debris that might be on the smoker originally and before you heat anything you just want to spray the living crap out of your entire sm- smoker so we're talking fire pit we're talking Smoker chamber inside and outside, smokestack, anything. Then you're going to want to build a fire, uh, and you want to build a pretty good one because you're going to want to run this at about four hundred degrees for a decent amount of time. And after it gets rip roaring, you're going to start to see some some changes that are going on, mainly in color. And when you get to like a, a darker blackish color, that's when you're going to then kind of touch it. And if it's still sticky, you need to continue to cook. And if it's not sticky, then you should be good. Um, And that coating will last you for quite a while. So I try to do it every three months. Um, Maybe not the entire smoker, but um, mainly where any type of water might sit uh, Mm -hmm. when it's in storage.
1: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this, this is one of those things where, I mean, I've mentioned my new offset, right? I haven't had enough time with it to get to a point that I'm like, okay, when do I re-season? And that's something I Mm -hmm. think about, too, since a lot of the cooking process is releasing a lot of grease and fat. And a lot of that is getting into, like, naturally seasoning the chamber. Um, Outside of the stuff, like you're saying, if you maybe clean it once in a while, maybe the bottom ends up getting a lot of water in there, that might be a place to reapply. Uh, and also accepting the areas that are extremely high heat, like the firebox, which is an area that's going to burn that stuff off over time. Yes. Um, is the is the cook chamber even something that people really need to go in there once in a while and and spray again with the oil, it, or is it something that just with the process of cooking it's going to repeatedly reapply its own until the point that you need to scrape it because you got like creosote building up, and then you would want to reseason.
0: Yeah. So. Your question is more so on the lines of more of the maintenance. So yeah. after after a good maintenance clean, I would suggest, yes, putting that spray in there and just kind of sure. getting it closer to where it was. It's still going to have a lot of the good seasoning that you have put the time and effort into. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, – a lot of people maybe um, believe that if you do clean your smoker, you're just getting rid of all the stuff that you have – built in there all the good stuff and
1: all the flavor (laughs) yes uh
0: and maybe well no you're not you're at that point you're cleaning off the things that you don't want to ingest anyway yeah and smoking is one thing that uh, smokers are just gross like Mm -hmm. even after one cook and i i'm kind of a neat freak and i hate getting that nasty stuff on my hands or but when i have to do a deep dive into the uh the big smoker like it's mm-hmm. like a bodysuit a shovels and <laughs> yeah, it's a whole I mean, scene I'm, yeah like i'm i'm in the smoker and it's yeah. disgusting but I if i don't do it imagine. it's hard to tell what's going to grow in there which yeah. essentially surrounds the food and you don't want that
1: sure of course so uh, just you mentioned PAM. That's an obvious mm-hmm. like easy one because it's aerosol. It's very easy, especially if you're getting in, you know, some of these are really uncomfortable positions. You got to get upside down to get the uh, underside of a lid or deep into a crevice uh, or if you're crawling inside like you are because your smoker is that big, mm-hmm. you know, you you need something that you can do uh, that type of thing with what I've done in the past is um, if I didn't feel like buying PAM, I've got kitchen oils, things that Mm -hmm. I may have on hand, just standard old canola oil. Um, I use avocado oil all the time uh, and grapeseed oil. These are things that I use to season my cast iron with. Uh, So those are things that if you have a oil sprayer or some kind of kitchen sprayer that's dedicated to oils, it does a good job with that type of uh, liquid material, you could also use that inside of your smoker. You don't necessarily have to go buy cans of PAM. Um so there are other oil options out there that would be uh, pretty good candidates for that if you wanted some some kind of alternative to uh, the aerosol versions.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. And when I first started out, actually I took we just had the big containers of vegetable oil or mm-hmm. it might have even been canola oil and I put it in a spritzer bottle and just throughout the whole thing. It took a lot longer, but it still did the job. Yeah. I mean you nice. you just want an oil on the metal to prevent it from rusting and collecting nastiness.
1: Yeah, and I think I mean, is that really the primary function if we boil it down? Is it rust prevention at this point because you're exposing these things to heat. The heat is going to dry the metal out, for, you know, temporarily, but then it's just kind of raw metal at a certain yeah. point which is just begging especially if you're in a humid and uh sort of high humidity environment, uh certainly could be one of the first things it's going to start to rust. So that little polymerized coating of oil is something that's going to at least keep that cook chamber nice and safe and rust-free.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It it that is that is the point. Yep.
1: So let me ask you this, especially making your own, a lot of the purchased ones like the one that I have uh, typically, unless you ask them to build it without a paint job, they can give it to you, you know, raw and you could do what mm-hmm. you want with the exterior. A lot of them do come with a high heat paint on them. So the exterior is kind of covered. People still do rub it with oil and do different things, even if it's painted. Mm-hmm. Um, but is that something that you do a lot now? Like, like if you mentioned the linseed oil, I would not, I still don't think I would want boiled linseed oil anywhere in or outside of a cooking chamber just because it, like it the oil goes in places, right? So I wouldn't want it for that. But all these other oils still are also candidates for the outside of this thing and especially even on a painted unit, my firebox one day is going to lose that paint. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like at some point, it's not going to last forever. So at some point, I'm going to be doing this just like cast iron. I'm going to be adding these layers of oil to try to keep polymerizing layers and layers and layers just to make sure this thing never rusts, right? Yeah. So I mean, with yours being unfinished on the outside, I'm cu- I'm curious, what do you do for the outside of the smoker? Same thing, same thing.
0: Coat it in Pam, yes. And nice. uh, I just picked this trick up. Uh, I want to say two years ago, and so my first smoker, it didn't even get covered, and so it has a two foot by two foot by two foot square firebox, and. Mm-hmm sitting on the trailer, it is outside in the elements and obviously over time and with my welding skills, some of it is going to lead to some poolage up there on top mm-hmm. of it. And it never rusted through, thank goodness. And since mm-hmm. I found this technique, it doesn't even look like the elements have hit it anymore.
1: Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah,
0: yeah you can so- you can honestly turn a rusty looking smoker into something that looks like a matte black finish.
1: Yeah. Right, it looks painted, mm-hmm. right? When 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 it's done properly. So is there a way cuz I know in in seasoning, quote unquote, seasoning certain types of grills, uh one of the things they say is like make your first cook a really fatty cook, you know, maybe some chicken mm-hmm. thighs or something that's generally just going to make a lot of aerosol airborne fat particles inside uh, is that something that you would do? Like what, a brand new pit, what is the first cook you're going to do? So you've sprayed it with oil, you've done a little bit of a heat up, you've just burned off some some fuel just to heat the chamber. What's the first thing you're cooking?
0: I think chicken is a good good idea. Obviously, I'm not going to throw that on the, the big cooker. Um, yeah. But, but for a, a smaller pellet grill or a backyard cooker, yeah, I think mm-hmm. chicken would be a great one. First of all, it's cheap. So if for whatever reason you do get that, yeah, taste mm-hmm. that might happen from it being its first cook um, and yeah. it not being completely seasoned, uh, y- you don't feel as bad if you throw it away. Um, sure. And yeah, you made a good point with the fat that is going to be popping off of that. Uh, right. That can only help you in this case.
1: Sure. I like the also the idea, if you are cooking chicken, chances are you're going to get to a higher temperature than you yeah. might if you're just doing a low and slow cook. And really with these oils... Uh, that's one thing to look into as well. Each oil um, has a different point at which it begins to polymerize, right? Yes. So if you have one that isn't going to start polymerizing till 500 degrees... Okay, maybe that's not the best option because you kind of mm-hmm. do want to get it to that point of polymerization. Um, yeah. So if you are cooking chicken, there's a good chance—at least if you want crispy skin—if you like rubbery skin, don't bother. Mm. But if you want yeah. your skin to be a little crispy, you're probably going to have to go north of 400 degrees for at least a period of time, uh, and that can't—I I, imagine—that can only do good things for that interior that you just coated with that oil.
0: Yeah, and and that brings up another good point: different oils have different um, smoke uh, smoke points. uh, Yes. Smoke points. Um, so like your, your grapeseed oil has a much higher smoke point than, um, your, so like boiled linseed oil, it, it'll do it around 200 degrees. So in somebody's mind, they might say, Oh, well, I, I barely have to heat this thing for it to get to its polymerization. Well, yeah, yes, but you're also, it's not going to be good because you're going to have all those toxins and nasty stuff that you don't want to inhale
1: yeah and also if your cook chamber you know let's say you're keeping it at 225 that's only the spot where you have your thermometer and the meat there's a lot of parts of your smoker that are going to get way way hotter than 225 right mm-hmm. so or going cool with it. that higher yeah yeah exactly and so going with that higher smoke point oil that's why like in our kitchen for instance we don't cook as much as much as i like olive oil I don't do as much like pan frying or things with olive oil. I like to, you know, because it is a a bit on the lower side, Mm -hmm. uh, smoke point wise. We've switched over to using almost exclusively avocado oil, uh, just in terms of being, we got to go a lot hotter before that stuff starts to reach its smoke point. Um, I do it strategically when I'm doing it on cast iron and I'm trying Mm -hmm. to reseason a pan or something, but for just general cooking purposes, I don't want to hit that smoke point. So yeah, a lot of fun stuff to think about, man, seasoning. It's like, um... And I know a lot of people are like, just cook, just cook with it. Everything will be fine. But it's like a little bit of care in the beginning is going to really set the stage. And then, yes, cook, keep cooking, always keep cooking with it. But doing a little bit of that initial seasoning is uh, definitely a good insurance policy.
0: Yeah. And, And to add to that, let's see, when I first got my pellet grill, it was probably, you walk, you get to a point where you walk by a smoker and you can say, dang, I've cooked a lot of meat on that thing because you'll yeah. walk by it and it'll hit you in the nose whether it's on or not. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the 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 tallow smell is what hits me first with mine, mm-hmm. uh, and that took about a year. And it's not like I just am a every once a month, once every two months kind of cooker. Like it's it's going almost once a week all year round.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's good when it when you when your smoker smells like paint. You might not be using it enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like mine.
1: <laughs> Mine, well, unfortunately, still smells a little like paint. Actually, it's not true. I walked into the garage. I had to move it the other day. Only three cooks on that thing. And I walked by and I just lifted the lid. I just wanted to make sure there was no weird rust or anything going on in there. I lifted that lid and I was like, oh, there it is. <laughs> the smell uh-huh. was there. So yeah. it's starting.
0: Yeah. Well, you just got that too. So I'll yeah, I'll, it's still I'll give you a little bit of leniency there.
1: Yeah, the weather's just warming up now. So we'll, we'll get mm-hmm. there. I got plenty of splits ready to go. We're going to get some smoking going. There you go. Perfect. Okay, well, do you have anything else to add? I don't think so. I think this is a great conversation. And I, I think uh, I've gotten a couple of questions from people asking, uh, what is the point of the show, right? Like, where? Do, what are we aiming at? And mm-hmm. while I like listening to all kinds of podcasts, one of the things I find, especially with a lot of um, barbecue podcasts, is I feel like we I've walked into the middle of a conversation between a couple of good friends but I'm not part of that friendship circle so I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and people are like so what what are you guys trying to do? And I think ultimately this show is going to be about a couple of things. We're going to cover basics. We're going to cover details about basics things that we would have liked to know when we were first starting out and like this time of year is a perfect time people are just thinking about getting outside and doing some cooking and we want to be there to help you do that and encourage you to try new things so a good portion of what we're doing is talking to new barbecue enthusiasts people who are kind of getting into it maybe filling some gaps in your knowledge I know I'm filling gaps in my knowledge just talking with Jevin who's got a lot more experience than I do. Um, that's really what we want to be with this and then ultimately bring in the community to start answering questions. But we are very – I think we'll always be very beginner friendly in this because I, I don't ever want someone to tune in on episode 50 and just be lost because they feel like we're telling jokes they don't understand. I mean they <laughs> yeah. might be because I've got a weird sense of humor. But it won't be because we're telling inside jokes. <laughs> yeah. It will be because yeah. we're you know, trying to make you laugh. Correct.
0: Yeah, and that's, uh, uh, I can't drive that home enough. We, there's no reason to be intimidated by this kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And if you have any questions, reach out to us on our website, thestallpodcast.com, or on social media of anything. If you have a question, please just ask it. Uh, it might take us a little while to get to it, but at some point we will address whatever you're bringing up.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Awesome. Well, that was fun.
1: Yeah, that was Great. So um, what, what I always, I'm trying to get used to all the different things between the website, the Instagram, and all that stuff. So what is our official Instagram?
0: So our official Instagram is at stallpodcast. Okay, stallpodcast,
1: get us there. All right, cool. Yes, and, and I'm at a, a TWW Barbecue, if you want to get me directly in the barbecue world. Um, also, of course, at Wood, Wood Whisper. But if it's barbecue stuff, you're probably better off doing it at TWW Barbecue.
0: Yeah. And I'm at Cheney Concepts on all the different platforms as well. So okay. just uh, reach out to us if you have anything and we'll get to it.
1: Absolutely. Looking forward to it.
0: Yes. Well, we want to thank you guys for tuning in and we can't wait to do the next episode. Totally. We'll see you guys later. Bye. Where's the stop button? There it yeah, is. Yeah, there we go.